identity. I want to talk about just maturing in our identity. And it's such a buzzword in the church right now. How many of you heard, have read a book on identity lately? Um, everything's about identity, you know, who am I in Christ? And, and so I want to talk a little bit about a lot of us have a, a, a really good grip or an understanding of our identity in Christ. Like we know about the grace of God. We know about the finished work. Um, maybe, maybe you come from a background where, you know, you understand some of that stuff, but maybe your identity, you don't, you don't really value yourself. And th- there's usually different spectrums. And I want to talk about contrasting identities this morning, kind of like two different extremes that sometimes we live in um, and how it's unhealthy and the paradigm and the identity that we're created to walk in. Uh, and, and I believe that in the body of Christ, God is doing something. Matter of fact, I want to I want to prophesy a little bit towards the end of the message about what I believe things that we're going to see, new renewals, moves of God, what we're, uh, a mark of some of the new moves of God that we're going to see in the earth. Uh, they're not going to be just marks of good theology uh, or marks of, you know, people um, that, are, that are, you know, like saying yes to go to the mission field and things like that, but it's going to be a mark of heaven, a specific thing, a specific thing that we're going to see in, uh, ha- and it's already happening, but I, I've had visions, man, of rooms uh, just participating in some of the things I believe the Holy Spirit is pouring out right now. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a young man. I'm 41 years old. Come on, somebody. Do you agree with that? Rochelle, do you agree with that? Okay, whatever. When I was 35, my wife's like, you're practically 40. Now, I can already see some of you that you didn't wear a jersey and you're looking at my jersey, you're, I, God is working on your heart right now because you're, you're not a Bronco fan, but that's okay. <laughs> Last week, I believe you prayed, Lord, expand my capacity to love. Well, there you go. Love me and honor me and receive me for wearing this jersey. Come on, somebody. Uh, so I, I was just thinking about identity and my own understanding of identity. You know, when I was like 12, I thought I was like a grown-up. I mean, I thought I was the toughest kid on the, I learned how to wrestle, you know, as a young man, I'm wrestling as a freshman. I'm, I wrestled for Clark High School here in Las Vegas, and I thought I was so cool, man, and I was like little, but I was strong, and I remember just growing up making mistakes, and how many know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you haven't f- filled the shoes God created for you yet, but you try to walk in them and fall flat on your face. Come on, somebody. Uh, and, and so I just remember a couple stories. I'll, I've shared these before, but some of you maybe have never heard them. One of them is uh, I, I remember my dad gave me a debit card, and it was like an emergency debit card. And it was, hey, if you need money, if you, like, need to eat or something, here's the code and here's a debit card. I'm like, thanks, Dad. Thanks for entrusting me with that. And I had got a car, and I'm, like, you know, 17 years old. And and for some reason, I didn't understand like how easy it was to just swipe that card or just insert it in that four-digit pin, but it actually withdrew money from the bank. It was all digital, but how many know what I'm talking about? You don't, it's just like, bloop, oh, did we spend that much money? Oh, Jesus. So there was about a period of a month, and, and my dad's like, son, he doesn't say that, but it sounds like, he's like, I, I need to talk to you. He's like, there's a thousand dollars missing out of the account from your debit card. And I didn't realize in a month, in 30 days, I spent nearly a thousand dollars. You remember that dad? You had mercy on me though. Thank God for his mercy. Oh, Lord have mercy on us all. 
And so I remember these moments of like, man, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I need to. Now there's another time I'll tell this quick story. You, you know, when young men start coming into their themselves and they, they work out, like I've been working out with David, you know, and every time we work out and he gets sore, I'm like, mm, I'll hit him in the chest. Be like, you sore, son? He's like, yeah, stop, dad. But you know, there's this thing about young men and, and I was a little cocky growing up and I'm like, I was a scrapper. I like, you know, I'm like, what's up? You know, I like to wrestle and stuff and, and, and box and stuff. And I remember uh, messing with my pops and, and how many know you can get as big as a house, but you can never whoop your old man. And the day you try, you're going to hell. Well, I didn't go to hell, but I was, I was messing with my dad. I'm like, come on, dad. And something, I, I, it wasn't like all the other times. Like, okay, son, let's wrestle. <laughs> and, you know, he pins me or hits me or whatever. But he had this look come over his face. Like, I thought I'm full. I'm like, I'm a, I'm strong. I'm a man. I'm like 14 years old. I'm, a, I'm strong. I can whoop my dad. And this, his countenance changed as we're playing around. I'm like, come on, dad. What's up? And he looks at me. With this look, and he's like, all right, son, one time, baby, one time. He takes his ring off. He takes his watch off. I'm like, one time what? Is there cops around here, bro? I didn't even know what one time meant, but I, I didn't want to know what one time meant, but I just remember, I think it was like one punch or something. I don't know. I guess what they, that's what they said back in the day, in the olden days. Oh, sorry. So, what's up, Pops? No, my pop scared me, though, man. I'm telling you, he's like, one time, taking his ring and his watch off. And I'm like, all right, cool. it's cool, bro. You won. <laughs> How many of you know identity is a process? <laughs> Sonship is a process. I think sometimes we live the same way. We live in these spectrums of identity. We live in these, uh, these contrasting uh, understanding of like how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see each other, and which we're trying to live this thing out to the best of our ability. We want to live like Christians that love Jesus, like sons and daughters. Can I hear you say amen? amen. I want to look at a couple different contrasting things. Let's read the scripture together. James chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Now, he's talking about wisdom, but I want you to get something. That wisdom in a Hebraic understanding, not a Greek understanding, is lived out. Wisdom is not just talking or believing or having the right answers. It's being the right answer. It's, it's a way of life. How many know what I'm talking about? It's concrete. It's, it's not just a thought. It's concrete. It's reality. And James is saying it's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. He says, live well, live wisely, live humbly. Uh, verse 14, mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you're wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal, cunning, devilish, conniving. But we're off to a really good start this morning, church. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats or at the other's throats. How many are just saying, wow, I'm really convicted? Come on, somebody. He goes on, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with the holy life and it's characterized by getting along with others. Oh, 
That's a good word. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced, doesn't flip off the car that cuts him off. Oh, I'm sorry, I inserted that. I didn't do that, I swear. I saw you do it, though. You can develop, you can, in, in a prophetic vision. No, I'm kidding. You can develop a healthy, this is so powerful, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Can I hear you say amen? amen. Thank you for the word this morning. Now, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about these two identities that sometimes we fit into, okay? One way or another. One I want to call identity crisis, the other mistaken identity. And, and these are contrasts. We're just going to look at a few things. And I want to look at some healthy things that we, I believe is a, a legit identity, a true identity that, that Christians should walk in. And, and it's going to be uh, uh, contrasted as something that, that we see in James chapter 3, verse 17. So we're going to literally break down all the things that he mentions in that verse and define them. So let's just look at a few of these. Uh, the one on one spectrum is we have low self-worth. Now, what does that mean? That you don't value yourself. Then on the other side, it's like we, we, we're arrogant. Like, I know who I am in Christ. I have all these scriptures memorized. And, and it's sometimes masked with confidence. Now, these are spectrums. Now, this is a journey I'm on. I, and I have discussions with my wife, usually months before I share a message. And I process. And I've been processing this word. And, and honestly, there's things that... As I'm learning to live this out, the Lord is bringing me on a journey of discovering my identity in Christ that these are things that are exposed in us sometimes, mindsets and hearts, attitudes, and things that, that we allow to, to kind of get into our hearts. And so there's these two spectrums. And the, you have one that like, you know, knows the gospel, knows the grace message, knows the, this is identity crisis, you know. We have, or the ident- mistaken identity. Like, oh, I know my identity, but we're off. There's something that's not right. Then you have those that are like, you know, we, we know scripture and things, but we're still, uh, we're still like beating ourselves up all the time. We still live under shame and condemnation. And so look at these. Now notice that neither of them are really fruitful, Right? And, and so even though this one looks like it's fruitful, there's no figs on it. If it was a fig tree, there's no figs on it. There's no real sustenance or fruit, or it can't provide shade uh, from the scorching sun. But there's, there's just something that's, that's not right. And then we look on, one is uh, spiritual suicide. This is an identity that says, oh, I got to die daily. I got to crucify my flesh daily. How many have ever said that? You know that you can't crucify your flesh? You can only identify with what Jesus did 2,000 years ago by trusting that what he did was more than enough. Hello? I used to pray this prayer, and I'm like, well, I need to die to self. I need to die. You know, when Paul said, I died daily in 1 Corinthians 15, he wasn't talking about committing spiritual suicide. He was talking about facing persecution daily. It's only in the King James, well, I die daily. We take the one verse completely out of context, Horrible interpretation, exegesis. And we got to look at the context of Scripture. Paul did not teach that. Paul said, it's not I who live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by, it's, it's, I've been crucified with Christ. Come on, how many know the old man, Romans chapter 6, died with Christ? We don't do that. 
We don't need to like, oh, I got to kill the old man. The old man's dead. Stop talking about him. Come on, somebody. Now, this is a powerful revelation. There might be desires that aren't right. There might be things that we need to put to death within us. But the core of who we are is new. You're made in God's image. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Indwelt, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. But some people live in this identity crisis where we still think that we are self-righteous enough to crucify our old nature. Praise God. Well, don't, you don't want to see my flesh, brother. You know, it's like we, it, it, it's like we still keep, we're still dragging around. But, it's, but the old man's dead. The old man's dead. Hello? And then the other side, self-absorbed. Like we're just so... Absorb with ourselves, our knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. The more we know, I know my identity and praise God. And, and it's like, it's, it, all it is is wisdom of, of the intellect. And, and we become self-absorbed. We become really narcissistic in our Christianity. We're individualistic. We, it doesn't relate to our relationships or our marriage or our family. It's just, it's just us and God. And we say things like, I'm the church, which is actually incorrect. You can't be the church alone. You're the church together. And so we're self-absorbed. And some of the other characteristics of these extremes, uh, one in, on one side, there's a lot of shame and condemnation. Shameful. You know, and, and I want you to understand that shame, under shame, there's usually major insecurity and or both major pride. Because we're so ashamed, and, and it's pride that we're not able to just come into the light and allow God's mercy and grace to heal us. On the other side of the spectrum, we're independent. We're self-reliant. We don't even pray prayers of important big decisions anymore. We're just kind of like, you know, we're independent, and, and, and we're just we're doing our thing. But, but our hearts aren't really trusting in the heart of God. And, and I, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've struggled with this side a little bit more. And I used to struggle with this side early on in my Christianity. Beat myself up, shame, condemnation. Then I learned the grace message and the finished work of the cross. And I learned that he did it. And I just have to trust in that. And then I became a little haughty. And people that didn't know, I'd be like, Psh, you don't even know who you are, Christ. <laughs> and it was arrogance. Come on. It was, it was like self-reliance. It was independence and and, and all that stuff. We look on it and it says here, uh, dualism. Dualism in one spectrum is somebody who, who just over-compartmentalizes their life. You know, the, the, the spirit realm is good, the natural realm is bad. So I just have to pray and seek the Lord. Well, there's times to do that. Amen. But if, you're, if your problem is in your marriage, you should probably take your wife on a date night. I mean, God wants you to pray for your marriage, but... Be an answer to your own prayer. Hello. Love your wives, men of God. You know, and, and so we, we're dualistic. And we think, you know, sometimes like a, a, a mom can feel bad because I just, I'm not spending enough time with God. And, you know, I'm taking care of my kids. God is pleased when you take care of your kids. And so on the identity crisis side, you have this dualism. We live in this dualistic mentality and, and it's unhealthy. It actually comes from Gnosticism. And then on the other side, our mistaken identity, we're just everything. We're glorified, man. It's like, you know, we're holy. We can touch and taste and do anything. Hello? And, and irreverence creeps in. It's almost like 
there is no more sin. Now, I, listen, that sounds crazy, but there are people that fit into this category and they literally use language like that. Like, well, I don't need to confess my sins. Really? It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. I don't need to confess my... You know, the church has been doing confession for 2,000 years. It's pretty important. As a matter of fact, it's what started the Second Great Awakening, men with other men being transparent, opening their hearts, saying, I struggle with this, and God's mercy and grace and healing power sanctifying them. I'm telling you, man, we... And, and so irreverence creeps in. Listen, I've got to do it. Sometimes I'll stream worship, but, you know, I'm worshiping. I'll look at my phone, and, and we, we're distracted. You know, like when, when we worship, it's time to worship. And, and so it's easy to slip into this thing where we're just kind of irreverent. How many know what I'm talking about? Coarse jesting. We all fall into this sometimes. But on this side of the spectrum, I've found myself many times uh, almost, you know, falling into this thing where I'm just a little too haughty in God's presence and maybe just a little too quick and sometimes I need to slow my roll and hear the rhythm of God's heartbeat and yield and yield amen and so you have two spectrums one is like I can't hear from God because unless I pray and fast and the other's like oh I don't even need to hear from God I know what I'm called to do and God's like well I thought this was a relationship yo like, I, I want communion with you, and you're acting like you're just having communion with yourself, you know, and calling it Jesus. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know what, even on this side of the spectrum, sometimes that means we're so absorbed in the scripture, but we're worshiping knowledge. See, James is writing and saying, listen, if you're wise, then you're living this out. The, like, your relationships are going to show it. Holla. Everything, it's going to reflect in your lifestyle. It's not just going to be a word or uh, an idea. And so I find myself, sometimes I found myself in my walk, you know, kind of in these extremes. How many can identify with some of these things? And, but there's a new paradigm and there's a healthy identity. It's not a balance between these at all either. It's not a balance between. Sometimes when we look at, you know, extremes. Well, oh, there's the two ditches. We should be in the middle of the road. Like there's law and then there's grace. No, one was for the old covenant and the other was for the new covenant. We're not under the law anymore. We don't need a little bit of law mixed with grace. That's called a toxic brew. It's not a balance. We need to just toss the things that aren't healthy and come into the new paradigm of how God wants us to live and who we really are. Because how many know we're not these things like in Christ. This is who, who God made us. This isn't what we're supposed to be living out. Can I hear you say amen? amen. So let's look at some of the, the healthy ways. Let's look at this scripture now. Uh, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now there's times I have to remember this verse when I want to comment on somebody's Facebook page. Come on, somebody. Or post something. The wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. I mean, this is profound. This is beautiful. Now, let's look at it in another translation here. Or not. I thought I had another translation. Okay. We're going to go backwards with all these things. Okay. So, look. We, we had the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Let's look at the first one. This is our true identity. Unhypocritical. Now, I just define some of these. Let's just look, at, look over these things. How does that sound? Authentic, transparent, and undisguised. Someone who lives from the heart. What you see is what you get. You know, not everybody likes our church because we're pretty raw and real from the pulpit. Because we don't want you to learn a masked form of Christianity. Well, welcome to Encounter Church Las Vegas. Now, you can see with our video announcements, that's who they are. That's healthy. And I love it. I love it. How many love our video announcements? Now, if we're, um, you know, somebody's like more masked and we have, and we, it's learned behavior, but it's not healthy. It's like, welcome to Encounter Church Las Vegas. And it's just this mechanical, robotic thing that we do, right? We do it in our prayers. Oh, Jesus. And we, it's just like, let's just toss all that stuff. Come on. Live from the heart, unhypocritical, not just your lifestyle of, well, you know, you're, you, you say that you love Jesus, but you do this. Not just that, just living from the heart, living from the heart. Because you could have someone who's honest about their sin, and they're not a hypocrite. Honest sinner, hypocritical saint. I'd rather be an honest sinner. I'd rather be an honest sinner. Although I know I'm a saint, I'd rather be honest about mistakes that I might make than be a hypocritical saint. I don't need to wear a mask. I got to be real. Come on. Hashtag live authentic. <laughs> Uncontentious. Woo, that's a good word. Not one-sided. It's literally what the, the, the Greek word is. Inclusive. Not quick to pass judgment. Wow. We're getting off to a really good start here, church. Praise God. Not one-sided. Inclusive. You know God's heart is inclusive. Sometimes I err on the side of inclusivity to where it kind of zaps my uh, ability to be, to, to really impact lives because I want everybody involved. You can ask my wife. Like we have a party, ah, put it on Facebook, the whole church can come over. And, and, but I know that deep in my heart, like I'm learning to be inclusive because I, I don't want anyone to feel left out. And that's my heart. And so, like, if we have a gathering with people, whatever, and you feel left out, that's never my heart. It's never my heart. That's why we come together. Inclusivity, having an inclusive heart, opening your heart to people that don't think like you, not being one-sided in every realm of our thinking, in the way we think about politics, in the way we think about family, in the way we think about church, in our church tradition, in our theology, hello, in, in how we live out our life. Well, I just don't do that because blah, 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 blah. For 14 generations, blah, 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 I've been doing. Well, you need to learn a new thing. You need to get around people that you don't be one-sided. Don't, don't be, and now I want to look at the, the contentious side of this. Not quick to pass judgment. Sometimes before we even, you know, it's, it reminds me of the way sometimes we do. It reminds me of my kid like, oh, hey, buddy, try that. It's good. Well, I don't like that. Have you ever had it? No. Then you don't know you don't like it. Don't you hate when kids like, here, try this. I don't like that. Layla does it. Or Josiah, you know, they're picky. Like, you've never tried it. If you haven't tried it, don't say you don't like it. Someone says something, and we're so quick to pass judgment, but we haven't even processed what they're saying, nor do we know their hearts. That is the mechanics behind their pattern of thinking, so we automatically just throw it out. Now, how many Christians, we, we do this in, because we disagree on politics, but how many know we can't be divided under politics, under 
the reign of an emperor if we're united under the reign of a king. And so our hearts have to be first yielded to that. But God doesn't want us to be contentious like that. Look at this. This is powerful. Titus 3.10. If anyone is causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with that person. I, I didn't write this. This is in the Bible. That's hardcore, man. Look at the person next to you say, that's hardcore. Now, you know, sometimes, though, listen, honestly, as a pastor that loves broken people, I've tolerated divisiveness. I don't really anymore. I try not to. I want to love people for who they are, but if they've got a, a spirit of offense and div- divisiveness, they, they need to get set free and delivered. They need to get healed. They need to allow, they need to forgive people that have hurt them. This is what the scripture says. If anyone's causing divisions, warn them once, warn them another time. Next time, peace. Here's the thing. Christians, you can love people from a distance. There is a time to walk in authority and set healthy boundaries with people that are toxic. Hello? And sometimes it's a hard thing to do, but it's love. It's love. Love corrects, protects. Love sets boundaries. Love isn't just walk all over me and do what you want to do. Beat me up for Jesus. No. No, 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 no. That's not love. That's not love. Would that be love in a marriage? Oh, I love my husband unconditionally. He can beat me anytime. No, woman, get out of that thing. Hello? Get some deliverance and healing. No, for real, though. Think about it. Some people, they think that way. That's not love. That's not love. Say it with me. That's not love. And community is sacred to God. And division and discord, the Old Testament says he hates the one who sows discord. I don't understand that. I mean, it's an extension of his love. I think it just grieves the heart of God when we're divisive or we sow discord. James is is also in the scriptures where he, right before this, he talks about the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. And he starts with, you want to be a teacher? You better watch out. You're going to be held accountable for what you say. And no man can tame the tongue. Guard your tongue. Guard your tongue. Straight up from the scripture. If anyone causes divisions, watch out. It's 11. The next thing, fruitful. How many know God wants us to be fruitful? And true wisdom from heaven is fruitful. Wisdom from heaven doesn't just talk the talk. It walks the walk. Willingness to serve. Generous gives life and blessings to others. So powerful. Are you a life giver? Do you give life to people around you? That's the wisdom from heaven. The wisdom from heaven is fruitful. Merciful. Now, this is a big one here. It means that we receive mercy and we give mercy. Now, there's this verse we're going to look at in a second. It also has to do with compassion and being gracious. Uh, and, and there's another big part of this that in our hearts, we don't retain hurt or offense. But our hearts, because we are now new covenant Christians, we are the Ark of the Covenant, Temple of the Holy Spirit. How many know in the, on the Ark, right at the top where the glory dwelt was the mercy seat? No retention of sin. So in the new covenant, our hearts should be like the mercy seat. You want God's glory to rest on your life? Don't retain. Be merciful. Have mercy on other people. Now that also 
fits into the understanding that we need to receive God's mercy. It's so healing to receive God's mercy. Now, in the two identity things that we talked about, in the, in the one that's kind of like mistaken identity, we're like, well, mercy's old covenant. I just received God's grace now. No, it's all the same stuff. Like mercy is the forgiveness. But how many know we need God's mercy? We need his grace. And our hearts, they yielded so merciful. The wisdom from above is overflowing with mercy. Now, you can't overflow with mercy unless you receive God's mercy for you right where you're at. And it's so healing. And it's so healing. And sometimes we're, we're so quick to, uh, to just run ahead and think, oh, yeah, praise God, I'm forgiven. Well, you are, but receive his mercy because it, it brings healing to your soul. Amen. Look at this. Now, in, in Matthew, it says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In Luke, same message. Look what he says. So be merciful, sympathetic, tender, responsive, tender, responsive, and compassionate, even as your Father is. All of these things. Your Father is all these things. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be merciful. So it's interesting the contrast in Matthew. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We think, like, you know, we need to live a holy life. Well, holiness is exemplified in our ability to show mercy. Read some of the stories of Jesus, you know, the, the good Samaritan and, and, and the one who was forgiven of great debt, but he didn't forgive someone who owed him 20 bucks. Like, this is the heart of God. We're called to be merciful. In heaven's wisdom, we overflow with mercy. Can I hear you say amen? amen. Willing to yield, humble, teachable, open-hearted, listens, and is reasonable. Reason, is the ability to reason with people. Not unreasonable, irrational. This is the wisdom from heaven. Willing to yield. Now we're going backwards in all the things that he mentions in James 3.17 for a reason. But I want, I want us to talk about this for a minute. In, in the contrast that I showed you earlier, in the mistaken identity, it's very common for arrogance and pride to just swell up. And I, I want to tell you something. I believe a mark of heaven on the a next wave of God that we're going to see that's already beginning is a people that love strong but love very humbly. It's having confidence in who they are but rooted in great humility. The world is attracted to humility. You know that Jesus, God is humble. You know, the early church believed that even the marks, the scars on the body of Jesus forever glorified, his physical body. You know, God has a physical body, fully God, fully man. Right now in heaven, Jesus ascended to heaven. He still carries the marks of the crucifixion. And the early church believed that it is an eternal reminder of the humility of God. Like it says in Philippians 2 that he lowered himself. He emptied himself and became like a man. That word is kenosis. It's like a pouring out of divinity. That's what we see in the life of Jesus in the incarnation. He poured out his divine love and life in humility, humbling himself even till death on the cross for humanity. Come on. Humility. Teachability. Teachability. The ability to listen. You know, when I first got saved, I was memorizing scripture like crazy. You can ask my mother-in-law. We'd be at Bible study and and, I'm, and, I, and I was a little arrogant, and I'm, but I'm young. And I listen, I could barely read. Then God supernaturally inspired me to read. I, could, I read it like a, she remembers, like a first grade level. And then the Lord quickened my mind, and I began to grow and memorize scripture. But I was so quick to talk and, so, and not 
quick to listen. I was, I was really quick to just say whatever's on my mind. But I, I had to learn how to listen. Listening is an art. And it comes from a humble heart. Ooh, that rhyme. Glory. <laughs> I'm open-hearted. Open-hearted to people. Uh, listening and reasonable. Amen? Gentle. Kind, considerate, pleasant, not harsh. These are the marks of a New Testament Christian. Somebody who carries the heart of God. Isn't this good? This is our identity. You know, especially as charismatic Christians, you know, it's like, well, I don't pray like that. And we're just praying. How, and we just forget who's in the room. Or, and, and we're just, I think we're just a little arrogant sometimes, especially as grace-filled, not know the Bible, and I'm a Bible-toting, Scripture-quoting, glory to God, Spirit-filled, oh, tongue-talking, oh, and, you know, we have no sensitivity to, to the larger body of Christ nor the world around us. But there's something powerful about the gentleness, the kindness, the consideration, and the pleasantness and the non-harshness of the wisdom of heaven flowing out of our lives. Peaceable. Peace loving. That means you love peace. You, you don't want division. You don't want disharmony. You actually live to harmonize with other people. People feel safe around you. You're a safe place. And you can converse with people, especially in a marriage. You know, in a marriage, it's like one of the, the key things of having a healthy marriage is communication. But you can't communicate unless you have a safe place. If I have a place I can share my heart where you're not going to take this personal and vice versa, it's a safe place. Like, I'm going to share my heart with you. This is how I feel. And we should have the same thing with each other. We're not quick to get offended where it's like, well, how dare you tell me that? And, and we're just so quick to, but there's a peaceableness. There's a harmony. Uh, and, and we have this ability to relate to others and get along with other people. You know, uh, anyone that, that speaks of great identity in Christ but can't get along with people is so far from true identity. And I've lived there. I've lived there. I've been there. I know all the scripture. We think we have heaven's wisdom, but it's not heaven's wisdom. Heaven's wisdom is a, lo- a way of living. It comes alive within us. And these are the things that James says, all these things. Lastly, oh, let's look at this. This is powerful. Philippians chapter 2. We're about to close. Uh, if you've gotten anything out of all of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Isn't that beautiful? Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. This is where Paul talks about the kenosis, the the love that God poured out, the divine love, the humility of God that was poured out in the incarnation. Lastly, pure, having reverence having honor, calling things sacred that are sacred, having motives in our hearts that are pure. It's really powerful that this is an element, I think, as believers, especially, you know, charismatic believers, we know the Bible and we know the grace message. These are profound things that should be 
flowing out of our lives. And I love this last one because in, in the other uh, contrasting identities, both of them were rooted in pride and in fear. Even the one that's shameful and self-absorbed and, or, or uh, you know, spiritual suicide, always beating themselves up, rooted in pride because we're trying to do the work ourselves. And the other one's rooted in pride. There's just arrogance and, well, I know the Bible and I know the, what the real gospel is. And we're argumentative and neither of those things are Christ-like. Neither of those things are healthy. But our true identity, listen, here's what I want to tell you. God is humble. Therefore, as a son and a daughter, you're humble. Who you are at your core. Do we deal with pride sometimes? Yes. And if you don't say yes, then you're dealing with pride. Like we all deal with arrogance. Hello? But I want to see in the body of Christ, I want to see reverence come back. I want to see a, a, a revival of reverence. Not religion. People on their faces before God worshiping. Because they know who he is. They know his heart. They know how lovely he is. And you know, people in worship, they don't draw attention to themselves. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the unholy spirit. That's irreverent. Well, I just worship how I want to worship. Well, then you do that in your home. Because when we're together, worship should honor the people around us or it doesn't honor God. Paul was very clear. He was very clear. God's a God of order. Hello? Doesn't mean there's a freedom. Willful freedom is do whatever you want to do. Freedom in Christ is love and honor. Pure reverence and honor. What's sacred? What's sacred anymore in our Christianity? It's coming into the table of the Lord sacred. We partake of the blood and the body of Jesus. In, Pro- as in Protestantism, it's just kind of like a thing we do once a month, if that. <laughs> once a quarter, praise God. But there's a beauty and a, a mystical thing that we're literally partaking of grace and the presence of the Lord is imparted to us when we come to the table of the Lord. We partake of the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. We come humbly. We come with a heart that says, God, I need your mercy. God, I need your blood. Lord, I need your blood to wash over my relationships. Lord, I need your blood to wash over my marriage. Lord, I need your blood to wash over my children. Lord, I need your blood to wash over the church community. Lord, I need your love. Lord, have mercy mercy. Lord, our country needs your blood. Lord, we need your mercy. Lord, our neighborhoods need your blood and your mercy. Lord, our ideas need your, our political stances need your blood and your mercy. God, have mercy upon us. It's a heart of reverence. It's a heart of reverence. It's a heart of awe. It's a heart of awe where your, your mouth's open. You're, you're in awe. Oh, God. You're so holy. I've had encounters with God. That's all I could say. And it wasn't holy like he's scary, but I was a little, I was trembling a little. But it was holy like you're so pure and full of love and you're so beautiful. I I barely know what love is. And it changes my heart. And I, I want the church, the body of Christ to get a hold of reverence again. And the things that are sacred the things that really matter, the things which is our heart before God and, and how that relates 
to the way we live our lives. That's our true identity. That's our true identity. We're, we're supposed to be humble, loving, nice people, not jerks. Sometimes I can be a jerk, I'll be honest. And then I have to humble myself before God. Look what James says right after this passage. You don't suppose that God doesn't care? He's telling them, like, you're friends with the world. You love what the world loves, the system of the world. That means you're basically committing adultery on your union with God. Straight up. One of my Bible study teachers said, you could title James, the whole book, Cut the Crap. <laughs> Just cut the crap, man. Some of the early church wanted to, didn't want this in the canon, even in the Reformation. Martin Luther didn't even want James in the canon. <laughs> I don't know about that work stuff. You know, faith without works is dead. But it was a transition book for, for Hebrews, for Jews. So now look, do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it said that he is a fiercely jealous lover. The spirit yearns within you jealously. It's a jealous fire. He desires for you to come into union and relationship and communion with him. How do we come? Reverently, humbly, and we come willingly. And look what he says. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. But how many know he gives grace to the willing humble? See, our true identity is not self-reliant. That's what happened in the garden is we became self-reliant. Sin, that spiritual decay, that cancer, sin and death reigning in the cosmos. We turned away. We turned away. Adam and Eve turned away. But we are utterly dependent on God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Utterly dependent on God. Every, you know, every breath, take a breath. There's some grace. There's more grace. Every breath. And every every breath is sacred. And then life is precious. And, and we live that way. And we live that way. And we love that way. And notice that the true identity is rooted in the love of God. Not fear, not pride, but the love of God. As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord and we close, I really I want to ask you to open your hearts to the word of the Lord this morning. And don't beat yourself up. But if you struggle with some of this stuff like we all do, can we come and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy. And as we come and take communion, we're going to dismiss you in just a moment and, and have you come up. And then we're going to close the service out. But I want you to Take the cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus and the juice. Is it grape juice or wine, guys? It's wine. Grape juice. Okay, it's grape juice. Don't worry. All the Protestants in the house. As you partake, you're partaking of the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. How many remember the first time you were washed with that blood? How many remember the first time 
your shame and your guilt and, your, and that condemnation of sin just rolled off your shoulders. Do you remember? Let's come again and thank God for his mercy and, and receive it. Thank God for his love. Lord, make us humble. Lord, teach us to live out humility. Lord, teach us to be reverent. We come with willing hearts right now. Lord, bless the elements. Lord, we just thank you for grace and the presence of God upon the cracker and the juice right now. I want to ask our prayer team, would you just pray right now? Matter of fact, if we could have a few of our prayer team members come on either side of these tables, just softly pray over the elements. And I really believe as you come and partake, God's going to do something in your heart. And those of you that are, that are getting ready to come forward, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to pray and just open your heart and just take a moment with God and hear his voice. Close your eyes and, and take a moment with God before you partake of communion. Yeah, that's it. Prayer team, just pray. Just quietly pray on either side and just bless the elements. Say, Lord, when, when people partake of this, we just release grace, your presence right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.